and they so they make up these jalang, these jals. All these wait, 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 wait. yeah, jal was jal is made up. This is Bangda podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Bangda Podcast. Today we have an amazing, outstanding interview with Dr. Gib Schreffler. If you don't know who he is, he essentially has a PhD in Tol. He learned Tol from the late Ustad Gurib Das, has extensively interviewed Harbhajan Singh, and wrote a 1,000-page dissertation on Tol. The dude knows a ton. I first encountered him on BTF. His username is Gabba Sharif Balwan. And he has posted extensively about the history of Bhangra, evolution of the music, and so much more. My favorite post by him is the visual history of Bhangra. I linked it in the show notes. It's absolutely remarkable. You have to check it out. I remember when I first wanted to reach out to him, I scoured the internet looking for Gabba Sharif Balwan. Google, Facebook, LinkedIn. I even tried MySpace and just couldn't find anything. So I asked Sid, yo... Where do I find this guy? And he told me, oh, no, his, his real name is Gib Schreffler. I never expected Gabba Sharif Balwan to be a white dude. Uh, but here I am on Zoom talking to a white dude with arm tats that has forgotten more Bhangra than I've even learned. All right, Sid. So before we really get into this entire conversation with Gib, I do want to ask, what do you think Bhangra is? When do you think it was founded? What was his purpose? What were you taught? What I was taught uh, by the folks that that I sought out and you know were initially teaching me Bangra was that Bangra was a dance that that spawned to celebrate the harvest right around the time of Vesaki. A uh, combination of a couple factors, you know, back in the day, you know, I don't really know because no one put a timetable on when this started or when this started happening. But if the rain did not come then we would have to, you know, work off of the food that we stored uh, from the previous, you know, season. And if the rain was coming, then we were going to get a new harvest. And if the rain came, then everybody would be super happy. And, you know, that's such an important part of Bhangra that it was meant to celebrate the harvest and uh, because we're happy that, hey, we're going to have a fresh, you know, fresh new food. And so what would happen was that, you know, people would get out their doles, everybody would be out in the streets just banging on their doles, having a good time, celebrating. Uh, and, you know, based on that, you know, the, the, there's no real, you know, because no one ever told me, like, when that could have started. But, again, like, I have this visual of, you know, me growing up. <laughs> My visual of whenever this was told to me is, like, Lagan, right? When you see that, like, that's what I'm, when I, when I was told the story, that's what I saw, right? People like yeah. that, just, like, being happy that the rain was coming and, and mm-hmm. we're going to have fresh food, etc. And uh, that... You know, it was just that's how the the beginnings of Bangarda was is that it was just to celebrate, and that's why I think happiness is such an important part of Bangarda. Yeah, none of that's right. Well, thanks to <laughs> thank you to everybody that taught me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm being a jerk. It's about seventy percent true. Yes, it is a celebration, but there are a lot of misconceptions in what you said, mainly especially about the time period. I'm Gib Schreffler. I'm going to let Gib take it away from here. I'm assistant professor of music at Pomona College in Claremont, California. Just take a look at some uh, footage, or, or you could look at footage now that we have YouTube, of people dancing what they called Bangada in 1950s. You could look at the film Naya Dor, 1957 film. Look how they danced Bangada there. See how much things have changed in the last 60 years. Now, if things have changed that much in 60 years, we can't really rationally assume that sometime before that, things didn't change, like way, way back in history, they didn't sort of change at all. Uh, As a second point, I would say, ask people to just think about any genre, you know, compared to say rock and roll. Rock and roll is music of the 1950s America. We know rock and roll exploded at that time. We know there were, it didn't come from nowhere. And I encourage people to think of Bhangra like that as a historical phenomenon that changes. It has roots, but the roots aren't necessarily the same thing as what it is. Just like 
My parents are my roots, but my parents are not the same thing as me. All right, so before we go on, got to put some definitions down. In his paper, Gibb breaks down the history of Pongra into three theaters. For expediency, just think of them as time periods. Community Pongra is from the 18th century to around partition, 1947-ish. Folklorized Pongra is around partition to 1980s, 1990s. And then there's Diaspora Pongra from the 1990s onwards. The Punjabi diaspora refers to all the Punjabis that live outside of Punjab. So, Diaspora Pongra is Pongra done outside of Punjab. These dates are very rough. They overlap a lot, so don't think of them as hard and fast dates. All right, cool. The, the first theater, um, which is the earliest, is, is the place where people are dancing within their communities, very locally, generally not on stage. In other words, not, <clears throat> not doing your performance for somebody to watch. Although um, that's very highly located and... Um, the northern and central parts of Punjab region. So what was what dances were called Pangara? Because I can't accept, you know, everything that, you know, Lord Shiva does in a, you know, in a freeze on a, on a rock wall and call that Pangara. So, um, so we look for the name and the name starts to turn up first in the areas that are Patan, Afghani areas adjacent to Punjab. They have a, a dance called the Atarn. This is their circle dance, sometimes dance with swords, sometimes dance with rifles nowadays. It's, it's the, considered the national dance of the Afghani people. So they had some variation of that that's noted in the, the 1880s with the name Bangra. Not the same pronunciation, but something like that. And then it, there's a similar thing to that. And then we finally start to see it in the 1880s, this word turn up actually within what we now recognize as the Punjab area. Okay. Oh, so you definitely hit on the um, the Afghani Atan and the um, the Pashto dance dances that were there. One thing I read in your paper that I wanted, to, I don't know if you have more information, you want to dive into it, but what was that mention of Christian Mela Pangara? Like that, that, I've like never heard of that in my, ever. Yeah, it's totally, um, it's, it almost distracts from this whole story because it's so weird. And But I had to kind of include it in my historiography because... It was the first mention that I have found in a literature mention of the word Pangara within, you know, the center of Punjab region, you know. So at least recently, something called Pangara had had made its way to the plains of Punjab because they were talking back against it. This was at a some missionary um, missionary Christian missionary group was sponsoring this Mela and they wanted to clean up Melas. So they considered Pangara to be something as part of like the debauchery and the licentiousness and the abandon that wasn't quote unquote Christian, right? So that tells us something maybe perhaps about just the, the mood of what Pangara was, you know, it wasn't a, a chaste activity, you know. It was... So what did the dance even look like? So that's, we're not really sure because we don't, nobody really drew Pangara back then. It wasn't that common, even though it was recorded, it wasn't the most common dance in the world. So you're asking me to take a description from a book that somebody else wrote, then try to tell you what it looks like. It's hard, but we do have some discrete descriptions of Bhangra, and Gib really helps explain that here. Right. Well, I think um, the descriptions we have from... But 1920s, we, there's a good description, and, and it gives us, I think it's a familiar picture, but then again, of course, totally different than what most people are doing nowadays. And the familiar picture is, well, first, we need to know the, the time and the place. The time is the month leading up to Visakhi. That's when you're harvesting, you're getting ready for Visakhi is going to be the day of the celebration of the harvest. So each night, that whole month, you're harvesting as you go, you're clearing the fields, you have an open space. The men that had been working are getting together in the evening, having some pegs, uh, telling some jokes. T- it's a very male space um, kind of togetherness. And then the, the drummer who is um, all the season is the professional hereditary drummer who's 
who's looking like this is my payday now, my payday for the year when the when the juts when the farmers finally pay me back, providing the service of plantol for all of them. So the 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 format then of the performance, if you'd like to say, it's not being performed for anybody, but it would be somebody gets up, says a verse. We might call it a boli nowadays. They may have called it a tola. No drumming, no dancing. They recite the verse. And then you wait, you know, it's like, you know, Right? Then you start up. You, you start it up. And then they dance for a while. That is the Pangada rhythm. Not 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 It's fast. Dance for a bit. There's no singing during that dancing. Then it stops, it stops, and then the next person does their verse. So it's alternating. You're not singing while you're dancing. The dole is too loud, it overcomes the singing. So you you listen to the person's like their bully, and then you dance for a bit. That was well, a routine. No modern day recordings of community pangara. The closest thing we do have is Malwaigidda. Nowadays during live pangara sets the singer is singing while the toli is playing and the dancers are dancing. But during Malwaigidda, a person will come up, they say their boli, they dance and repeat. There is some dancing while singing and etc. But it is the closest thing we have. The example I've been using throughout has been Shan Punjab, the Pangara in the 6th, 2017. Link in the show notes. Yeah, it's a session. It's like I I think of it like a um, like a rap session. It's like a circle. It's a it's a bunch of friends that are together and they say, "Look, I'm going to drop some bars right now," and then somebody drops the bars and then you know a beat gets going and then they sort of get into it. You know that that's that's what I mean by the community Bangara. Before it was folklorized into a kind of choreographed and worked out stage presentation. Dude, it is really cool that learning and listening to Gib talk about the history of all this is that all of what he's talked about has just been happening in West Punjab. And so the question I have is that, so when did it get to East Punjab or Punjab as we know today, like in India? Like many things in the history of Pakistan and India, partition. There was this group of people known as the Bazigur or the Gwar. They are an ethnic group that roamed the Punjabi plains, entertaining villages with music, dance, acrobatics, drama, etc. for money. They also happened to be Hindus. So once partition happened, they traveled to East Punjab and took their knowledge of all the Punjabi dances they've learned with them. The Bazigur people were Hindus, though they had been located mostly in the western side of Punjab that became Pakistan. So they basically all of the Bazigur people end up shifting, becoming uprooted, having to change their lifestyle from one of being able to wander around and make their living in the in the vast open areas of West Punjab and then settle down somewhere in East Punjab. And then there's this lucky break that happens in some sense where a particular group of Bajigars who were refugees were settled in a particular village or in Sagru, sorry. They um, they know how to dance, they know how to drum, they know how to sing, they know how to play instruments, they know how to do drama. You know, they're, the dances they know are all different Punjabi dances because they traveled all around Punjab. So they weren't spe- specialists of Bhangra, but they knew all these things. But anyways, the, to get to the point of it, they were... Um, they were in this village, which was the home village of these young young men who were the ones who decided, let's preserve Punjabi dances. So that was the direction they go in. But then they're in the situation where it's, I'm sad to say, there's like these main dances just weren't really in the eastern side of Punjab at all. These kind of big circle dances are just not really overlapping into the region that was eastern Punjab at all. So anybody who's going to try to quote-unquote, maintain, promote, revive these dances is going to be someone who had to have come from the Western side, migrated, and and just trying to bring some sort of memories. These brothers, I didn't say they were brothers earlier, but these college kids from the town of Sunam, the Deepak brothers that started this first group, 
they uh, they had been earlier living in the western side of Punjab because their their father had got this canal canal colony land that they could work on. So they their their home was originally their ancestral home was East Punjab. They were able to migrate temporarily to the West Punjab to work on the farms there, experience the Western Punjabi local culture, and then partition comes and then they have to go back. They're lucky enough to have ancestral lands back in Sangrur district in East Punjab, but they had that that couple decades of exposure to that local, um, it's called Bar, the Bar areas, the like in between the rivers areas, yeah. So those young men wanted to do the, be the dancers. They didn't come from the families that could do the drumming, but they were able to, in that same village, because their, their grandfather had patronized and supported these refugee Bazigars, they were able to work together. And so the young men that were college boys were able to be the kind of like mediators and the face for it for the public, the kind of more gentlemen kind of that the public could relate to. And then the Bazigars were the were the musicians and the people who gave them the know-how. Umar, something to think about here. We've always been told that the dance of Bhangra is a sick dance. The Sikhs are the ones that performed it. But what's really interesting to think about here is that the Bazigars are actually Hindu Punjabi. And they were the ones that, you know, kind of were the ones that were doing the dance back in the 50s. So it's interesting that could Bhangra actually also be a Hindu dance? Like, is it maybe also a Hindu dance and not just a Sikh dance? And the only reason that I can see why over time it got away from that is because if you look at the people that kept pushing the dance forward, and especially during the folklorization era, the people that were doing it were all Sikh Punjabi, and there were no Hindus involved. And maybe that's because the Bazigars are so low on the caste system that they because we know they see culture in that time the caste system is super important maybe that's why that hindus were left out of this i'll definitely ask give next time i talk to him but it's definitely interesting to think about how hindu punjabis are sometimes looked down upon by some sikh punjabis in the pangara circuit even though the hindu bazigars are the ones who brought the dance to them so you really started to mention the Deepak brothers and this, this migration of the Bazigard people from West Punjab to East Punjab after the partition. And during that process, I mean, their like, knowledge was definitely lost. Uh, but what, I guess, what was the impetus for a people in East Punjab who weren't necessarily aware of these dance as aware of these dances like understanding these dances were now being introduced to these dances by the west punjabis uh what was the i guess why did east punjab kind of latch on to them yeah good question that's like really interesting because uh, my short answer to that is i think they were just awesome dancers that they had charisma Watch these movies. Watch Nayadur. Watch watch Jagte Raho. Watch what they um. I do want to take a second and explain that as Bangra became more popular, so did the Deepak brothers, the entire Pepsu troupe, and all these people surrounding them. They had roles in movies doing Bangra, like in this movie Jagte Raho. They also represented Punjabi culture to India, and went abroad doing Bangra performances. They were genuinely big deals. Their style is just is just um, very charismatic, and um, and it was a mixture of things that of styles. I think that wasn't um, necessarily. It's hard to tell whether that really reflected the body language of strictly Pangara or not, because these these um, artists they're learning from, the Bajigars, and the people which the, even the Deepak brothers would have engaged with when they were living in West Punjab, were of a different area than the area where the historical Pangara comes from. There's a different nature of people down in like Jangsial, that area, and, and Faisalabad, than the people up in Sialkot. It's a different character, you know? And there's a character to the way, their way of dancing. 
and these these the early on the group was into doing all the different Punjabi dances, including the most popular Punjabi dance, which was Jumur. And which is we know nowadays how different the character of Jumur is from Bangura. They wanted to do that. That would have the in an alternate dimension, if like the butterfly flapped its wings in a different way, Jumur might have been the main dance, you know, famous dance. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. No, I mean, so I mean, I don't want to mean to cut you off, but it's it that is interesting because Jumur was the dance, like Jumur is the dance, and even now we're see, like there is a resurgence of Jumur to just be like just Jumur exhibitions and things like that, and so I don't even know if you can even answer this, but like what was the thing that made Pangra the dance and not Jumur? Yeah, um, the way I would try to. Um coming up for an explanation for that would be to say um, Manohar Deepak, which is the leader of the group, um, may have been the one to decide we want to create a stage presentation that mixes all of the Punjabi dances. Um, another account that I've dug up suggests that this one um, Raja who, I forget what his name, this Raja's name was, but but we know there was this the, the princely state of Patiala, which was um, still in existence for, for some time after partition, and the, the group got sponsorship. So they may have also encouraged the group, make your presentation be this way. So they make the presentation that is the, that is the mixture, and, and it's a number of years where they're showcasing this presentation, where they're not labeling what they're doing as Bhangra, they're just saying, we're men Punjabi doing a dance, this is men's Punjabi dance. You know, it's a mix of things, and then it's not until... They, they hit the big time, which is 1954. They're invited by the Ministry of Defense to be in the parade in Republic Day, 26 January, the annual event, representing the state of Punjab. They dance their presentation. And somebody, you know, part of the programming of that says, we're going to call this Bhangra. I want to hit on that. I want you to explain a little bit more. The I don't think it's a very commonly understood thing that Bhangra is a collection of dances and that all these segments that we do tamal aludis sami could you talk about that process of literally like the deepak brothers the pepsu troop and just kind of how that amalgam came to be like what were what was going on at the time why was this amalgam being formed who were the main players that kind of thing you're making me think here you know and revise because um i'm picturing the the Deepak um, groups, and I call them the, I call them the Pepsu team. I just want to call that Pepsu was the princely state that they were patronized by. And I don't want to just give credit to the Deepak brothers because I want to give it credit to all. So I'll call them the Pepsu team. Their early performances don't strike me as like where we can necessarily pick out different Punjabi dances, despite all that, what I just said about that, um, that idea of it. Um, that may be because these, these filmic representations in them and the films, they tried to stick to those parts, which they considered to be more Bhangra. But those, um, and, and their dance was just characterized by a lot of individual actions. Like you didn't have to do the same thing in a group and go round and around. You didn't have to, to um, what do you call it, coordinate. You just, like an individual person just shows their personality for a while. That is very interesting. But I think what I'm getting to is that Later, after that group, it becomes even more layered, the Bhangra folkloric presentation, to uh, show these glimpses of different dances. So, um, Jumur, for instance. Jumur was, we know, was some included as somehow as part of it in the, the Pepsu team's era. Because, for example, um, I, I tell in my article how the master of Hapajan Singh, this well-known uh, authority on Bhangra, he, uh, he grew up in the area where Bhangra was danced before partition. And, and he told me, he's like, there was no Chumur there, you know, up where I lived in Gurdaspur district, you know, way up there. He's like, there's no Chumur at all. We know on the other hand, Chumur was the most widespread someplace in Punjab, but that one area, there was no Chumur. So when this master Habajan Singh in the 1960s he takes over for from the Deepak brothers to lead uh, these national presentations, such as at Republic Day, and and perform the folkloric Bhangra. 
Jesus. a little more specifically into what are the different actions that people are doing. Um, they, I want to just highlight because I think it's the main takeaway without doing every point. You can just do this point. 1971. 1970, the, the, the class I teach on um, Punjabi music now at my college I, is numbered Music 71, because inspired by the year 1971. And this is, and this is when this one delegation of Bhangra dancers was set on a huge tour of Middle Eastern countries. T Tunisia was a country of focus when, um, when I talked to some people about it, but evidently it was a tour. And this group uh, goes to perform, and it's being guided by this government minister, Bog Singh. Bog Singh, a great friend to many Bhangra artists, Dolis, etc., a great sponsor of them, but also in the government, and also a great knowledgeable person about these dances. He was the coordinator of this tour, and these groups are sent to international dance festivals. And there was one in particular in Tunisia, where they each group from every country had to perform for 45 minutes. And they said, oh God, what are we going to do with Bhangra for 45 minutes? How? Are, this is 1971. There are less, way, way less actions than there are now. I'm, I'm going to bet any most of the people who are listening that at least, mm, I'm just going to make up a number, more than 50, to be safe, 50, but probably more than 50 of the actions you do right now did not exist before 1971. And that the this is when they said, we got to make up more actions to have 45 minutes. And they said so they make up these jalan, these jals. All these actions. Jal is made up. Like jal was like made during that time. Is So jal, like jal. At this moment, I am literally getting so out of my chair and start doing jal for Gib on Zoom. I, I probably, I'm not going to be able to speak to that exact action. But the idea was that when you use the rhythm, which, which a lot of, um, what's, yes, what's the, what's, yeah, what's called jal, jal. What's the jal beats? I know it. So when people say din, 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 that wasn't, no, 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 no. You got to stay with me. That, yeah. that beat was not made up in 1971. Okay. All right. Okay. But that, that beat was not a, not a big part of Bhangra before the the uh, before the fifties. That's that's a that okay. is astounding because the thing is like now in like the Bhangra that we do now, like Jal is everywhere. Jal is a drop for like almost is like, for most segments. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And that's and that's because and I'm I'll circle back, but that's because of all the actions that were made to be performed on that in 1971. Oh my God, that's amazing! So, so, okay. so if we take it back um, before 1950s folklorization of Bhangra, the rhythm, which some people call Jal, I call it Luddi, just because my my teacher did. It's more technically called Kerva. Anyways, but it's the rhythm that goes din and nakanak din din and nakanak din din. That was not. Um, it was present, but it wasn't. So in 1971, they say we have to make up these new actions, and so the. Many of these actions that we to which we attach the name jal, hans jal, pakka jal, single jal, double jal, side dardi, like these all those sorts of things where you like you know you kind of do something to one side and then you do it to the other side to your left now and to your right and and you move across the stage, you locomote on the the jal rhythm. Those were the sort of actions that were devised at this time. And jal, of course, just means movement. And, and these, these folks were just named, they were at an international festival, so they wanted to call them the international movements, international jalan, oh uh, international jalane. So then they, and then they just shortened it the jal, and all those movements are the jals, plural, you know, of, of different sorts. And this, and I, and I recount in, in one of my articles how, the director Bog Singh, who did this, like years later, he's he looks back in regret. He's like, "Wow, I changed Bhangra so much by doing this," because he comes back and he does that. And I want to acknowledge too, um, Ustad Lal Singh Patri. He was the Toli. So this is amazing. And 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 folks, during this, 
you can imagine the sort of shyness they have of talking about it. If 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 the uh, the government guy feels shy about it, how are the other the, the artists going to feel? Because knowing the impact that they had, and so it's like kind of like, well, we we did a traditional dance, and we when we present to the public, we talk about traditional, but we at the same time we know that we we created all this new stuff, and we'd kind of like it maybe if that was just blurred together. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and we just kind of forgot about that yeah. stuff. So, so, but I think that the Laos and Parti Ostalji is fascinating because he would have had to been the person to develop a new dole rhythm for every action. Because when you when you do side thirty, it's got to be a certain daga beat. When you do when you do double chal, it's got to be a certain thing. So he so he's the person developing all that, and then. They come back from the successful tour, and now the college-based Bangarda teams have a whole new repertoire of things. You know, it all starts with the Chal and the Chal. Very quick story is 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 that that um before the, those Jalan, the the um the the Bepsu team, the 1950s team was was dancing on what we call Chal rhythm. Or what what I don't call, but what many do, and what I call Luddi rhythm, and I call it Luddi rhythm because I inherit that from my teacher, Stad Gurudasji, and um, and he his his time goes back to the time when this one person, um, Balbir Singh Sekhon, was a dancer on the Pepsu Pepsu team. Bal Balbir Singh Sekhon was a jat from Patiala. He didn't grow up with any kind of historical pangra. But he went to college with the other Deepak boys, and he got on the team, and he was into it, you know. And he he danced on the team. He didn't have this ancestral knowledge to sort of pull from, but I I don't know how, but I know that he did um, develop this action on Jal where you're clapping in front of yourself, and he's calling that Luddi. Wow. Now I'm not I'm not claiming I'm not making any. And he claims here that he that's made up, but but it is a discrepancy in that Luddi is a dance of Pakistan, and it's and it's still danced today often, and we can see exactly what Luddi looks like, we can see exactly what Luddi sounds like. It does not sound like Jal rhythm. It does not look like the dance that Balbir Singh Sekhon of Patiala did. Nonetheless, Balbir Singh Sekhon would do this, clapping hands in front of you, Luddi step, and that's how the name Luddi gets attached erroneously to this Jal rhythm, and um, th that kind of starts it off. But I just have to tell you the story that you know, with the years of working with my teacher Toli Ustad Gribas Ji, you know he. He, he, I saw him teach that Luddi to a mil, people a million times, like as the first step, and tell them it was called Luddi. And, and he never tells me. And then after years, I get to the bottom of the story, and I tell him, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what, you know, why didn't you tell me? And he's, he's kind of like, you know, you didn't ask. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter. Oh, it's like this man. is like, the, I mean, our, our, the tradition evolved, and... Uh, we we consider the the step traditional now, and it doesn't really it doesn't serve you for me to like tell you this 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 five minute narrative, which you know Professor Schreffler has just told everybody. It's not my it's not my style, you know. I just I react to the beat and I do the dance. Bhangra was forever changed by a delegation in 1971. All these steps, like Hans Jal, Jadusinga. Etc. They all represent something about the agricultural Punjabi identity, but nonetheless, they don't have the roots in older Punjabi dances like all the other steps before it. Yet we all consider all of those steps folk. Even the people like Lal Singh Patti and Bug Singh have conflicting feelings about the changes they made to pre-1971 Pangara. So then, where do we draw the line for folk? First and foremost, we're in everybody's in uh, everybody's in Punjab. Uh, but how does Bangra go to the UK? How does it go to Australia? How does it go to the United States and Canada? And these like kind of key Punjabi areas like London, 
like um, you know British Columbia, like Bay Area, California, they 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 maintained some kind of connection of like the Bhangra they knew back when Punjab frozen in time. But I think that basically was overwritten by what we now see as diaspora Bhangra. Like the like someone took the hard drive and just put a new file on top of that. You know, it doesn't it doesn't diminish what they did. They mentored. They you know passed down to certain people. Things were, but basically they were outnumbered by a larger phenomenon that happened later. And I think diaspora Bhangra really, um, in the main, it develops from young people who are in college and they're imitating what they see in the media. And it develops out of Bhangra music. So it's we're gonna dance to what's now Bhangra music. Bhangra music doesn't become widespread available as as a thing until 1980s. So this is post, po, mostly post 1980s, because like 1980s Bhangra music was more like you go to the club and you dance to it or something, you know. But like so it's really like just the start of the 90s when Bhangra music was now globally distributed. You know, artists in in, in England you're hearing them in LA. And we're in our we're we're college students. We belong to like, you know, South Asian or student organizations. We do our annual show, culture show, and we want to do the Sprungana thing. And the, most of the ideas from that are coming from what you see in the films. Not that these people don't have the roots; they absolutely one hundred percent do. They have their family. They've grown up in their Punjabi families. They've listened to their parents and all these sorts of things. But the parents aren't like experts that can really give them much guidance on how to stage this thing. They're more seeing like, you know, um, I'll be, I'll be talking about Chen in some movie, you know, Bollywood doing something, which does trickle down from the Deepak brothers presentation in the movies, but, or they're saying the music video of some artist, you know, Bindrakia is singing and in the background there are dancers and they're sort of doing that. I, I take that to be the main root of the, um, diaspora Pongrana in the 1990s. Now we know all that starts to change is like some knowledge spreads maybe out from those folks at the San Jose State and someone else gets inspired by that and then we know I, we all know the story of YouTube coming in and that changing but right before YouTube came there was that battle I remember between like were you fusion or you traditional? That's still happening you know, but yeah. You know fusion was the thing I and mean, fusion was like Kalsa Junction, that's like, that's, you know, that's hot stuff because there, it's it's new and everything. But but at that time, what was called the traditional was like the traditional people who, who had that purism. I think they didn't really know what to do, you know, for traditional. It just, it was just a label that represented something that was in contrast to the so-called fusion thing. But then, but then the YouTube thing came and then it was like, well, let's copy the routine of people in India and that was the routine that might have been made up, you know, five minutes ago. <laughs> but, but it came from India, so that was like that became that became the basis for like you know traditional live Bhangra. Oh. It's really interesting to understand how much YouTube has played a factor in this. So, and again, I, I encourage everybody to watch teams, uh, especially from like the 2005 to 2008 era, the Kalsa Junction. Uh, for my, I'll throw out my own shout out. Three Rivers Bungarda is the team that inspired FCB. Uh, Bungarda's Most Wanted, Lethal Bungarda Crew. Like you can see the folk elements in all these teams, but you can see that it does not look like what we know as Bungarda today. And I again compare it to just us in North America not having access to the resources to understand folklorized Bungarda. And then you can see in the 2008 time, the transition starts happening where you see a team like VCU especially. They came in and they dominated. They were, like, they were an excellent beyond everybody. They were so good back then. They were they crushed everybody. But you could see the segments. Like watch them and then watch Three Rivers Bungarda, And you can see the difference. And you can also see the difference in the circuit where at that time, a team like Kalsa Junction, a team like three rivers or bmw or empire for that matter could still compete with a team like vcu at certain competitions and over time that got phased out like if you didn't look like a folklorized team like vcu was 
you couldn't compete anymore. And that probably happened in the 2012-2013 time. Uh, but it, again, it took that much time. And again, I look back at YouTube and the fact that you take some of these pockets of North American Bangarda. We know that VCU had access to folkorized Bangarda before everybody else. And same with some folks in Toronto. Same with the people in Surrey. And you can see these pot, like how much better these certain pockets and areas uh, were. They were just better at Bangarda than than everybody else. It's because they had access to these resources. And you and what ended up happening is people were able to get these videos from Punjab of live teams of. Parminder Singh or whoever it was, and they were able to put them on YouTube for people like me to learn, because that's how I learned. I learned about folklorized Bhangra because of YouTube, right? Because uh, I didn't have any access to direct resources. And you can even see, even you know, going beyond that, the progression of our own circuit, that we have gone from what, you know, in 2008, you could have a team like Empire be really good. You could have a team like Kalsa Junction or APD, for those who don't know, Arnuk Punjabdi from LA, they could be really good along with a VCU. That could be compared to what Gib refers to as community Bhangra, where it was there was not so much emphasis on form, choreography, and synchronization and all that stuff. But as we folklorized it, as we put something on stage, the emphasis on those elements that I just mentioned became heightened. And if you did not look like a VCU or a Nashti Juwani, you know, you couldn't compete. But at the same time, if you look at Nashti Juwani in Elite Eight 2010, you can see the performance that they put on. Look at that choreography. Look how many gimmicks there were. Look how many everything that was. That was the circuit at the time. And you can see the evolution of Nashti Juwani year after year after year. But they kind of got away from that and kept going more in the folk direction and got getting rid of the gimmicks. You can see the transition from 2010, which still looks like what it could be called Community Bhangra, but they, but they had the segments, they had the choreo, they had the form, they had the synchronization, and then it transitioned, transitioned, transitioned. Watch their, uh, watch their 2011 video, then watch uh, them at Jush in 2012, then the Warriors at 2013, Big Apple 2014, Berg 2015. You can see the progression, you can see the transition, and them being the trendsetters, you can see where our circuit is today. So it's really cool to just see how. We learned the evolution of Bhangra in India, and I might have done a decent job, I guess, recapping the evolution of Bhangra here in North America. For this last section, I asked Gabe if he had some final thoughts, and same with Sid. Yeah, two real quick things. One one is that um, I want to place emphasis on Jumur, 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 Jumur. It's my favorite, it's my favorite Punjabi dance. And, um, and it, it still exists in a community form, not a stage form, but it's in Pakistan mainly. I mean, there's a little sliver in India too, but but it's it's in Pakistan, and that historically was the widest spread, most popular dance, and it still exists. What happened to Chumur? And it's not. And what people are often doing in the Bangladesh pop music scene that they call Chumur, it's kind of just a shadow of what that that thing is. That 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 what's happened with Ludi, I don't think, is is um, towards the vision that I'm expressing. Which you know, who gives a crap about my vision? <laughs> I'm a, but I'm just anybody. But but it's it's not coming from that direction of like, look, there are people in um, Pakistan today that know Ludi very well. Somebody just you know gets their graduation to papers, and then out in the street, their buddies. Say quick, let's do, let's dance Ludi. You know, it's it's a thing that happens. You know, recently, like that 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 knowledge is not what's bringing into it. Then I think some of the knowledge is going from people in the East Punjab who have staged something called Ludi as a separate dance, and they're really they're kind of really screwing up on that. And and the reason they're screwing up is you know the word in the English language is equivocation when you. You mix up two things because they have they're called the same thing. Ludi was that dance that Balbir Singh Seko said he was doing. So so they they they're like, okay, people are a little bored of Bhangra. Jumur is getting a little played out. Okay, we're we're gonna sh give you a stage presentation of Ludi, but we have no idea what what to draw that from because we're in India and we're totally caught off from Pakistan, even though they're 
people have all this knowledge in Pakistan. We don't have it. And we're going to create this stage presentation where we say the word Luddi a bunch of times. And we say, and we, and we, we play Jal because we think Jal has something to do with Luddi. And like, there's a lot, there's some true in there and there's some false, but I, I, I worry that it's not really a, the well, the well that they're getting the info from, like, isn't as, as clean as it could easily be if there were more dialogue with, again, with the Pakistanis. Yeah. The, the final thing I want to say is, I, if I was the king of the world, and for some reason I was interested in, like, um, prescribing what people do for my delight and entertainment, I would be interested in seeing a movement within Bhangra that somehow embraces that early method, that early format, the hip hop setting, the kind of some, some aspect of a community participatory activity. I'm not saying it's not there. We participate when we, you know, we're in, we're in our basement and we just turn on a tune and we feel like dancing, you know, that's there. But, um, but with that, on the other hand, we don't necessarily consider that kind of um, maybe an art as much. But if some more interactive, participatory art like that ciphering, breakdancing, hip-hop circle that with which we might characterize the early Pangara, I'd be interested to see that happen, or, or at least something where um, where performers of Pangara highlight individual creativity. Now that happens through like the choreography someone might be in charge of, but I think it's rather limited oftentimes to like the like a little bit of a personal flair that sometimes a dancer is allowed to do. Although some sometimes that's also pressed down, like hammered down, like like don't don't do that. And I would be interested to see that and see what if like what kind of individual creativity for this if you could get if people could not worry about judging the formation in the comp competitive format and rather appealing to the aesthetics of an audience who is interested in seeing personal expressions rather than rather than group mastery but personal expression that'd be something i'd be interested as an audience member to see so people can think about it. i um it's not really ready to plug yet but i've been working on a book it probably won't come out for another year but it's called, um, right now it's called Beat That Drum Which Hangs From Your Neck. This is like where the inspiration of the name comes from. And it's it's going to be like, in some way, I think the first book on uh, Punjabi Tolis. So that I'm working very hard on that right now. So with what Gib is saying from what he wants and how he sees how the circuit can become more folk is to incorporate more elements from the time period of community Bhangra. And the problem with that is that we are in 2020 and we are in a completely different time period in the whole story of Bhangra. And we are in a time period now where we are putting it on stage in a competitive environment. Any dance form or any, not even just a dance form, because I can even compare, you know, figure skating, synchronized swimming, I don't know. But if you look at every dance form, hip-hop, ballet, Ross, uh, all the Bollywood teams, right? It's not just Bhangra that synchronization and attention to detail and form is a part of all is a part of all of these rubrics. So to truly go back to that community style Bhangra, where synchronization was not a thing, where form was not a thing, you have to remove those from the rubric, which I think that our circuit and the circuit at large across the entire globe is we're too far in. We're too far in in terms of we have to have synchronization and we have to have form on our rubrics. The other aspect of it is selling tickets to the shows. People aren't going to pay $30 to show up and watch you know, an unsynchronized, unpolished, unfinished product on stage. If you talk to any viewer that comes to these shows... They're ranting and raving about how how much coordination had to go into that piece. Oh my God, you guys all jumped all at the same time and all at the same height. To the untrained eye, that's, that level of coordination and synchronization is amazing. And that's what they come and pay for 
along with the entertainment value. But if you take away the synchronization and all it is is just entertainment value and free expression, I find it hard to believe you'll get repeat buyers. I find it hard to believe that people will show up for a show after that to watch an unfinished, unpolished product. And with all of that, I, I do want to say this. The definition of folk is originating or traditional with the common people of a country or region, reflecting their lifestyle. There's a couple problems with that definition as we have it in our world today and what people call folk. Coming through the timeline of everything, we have basically stopped folklorizing Pongara sometime between 1980 and 1990, and that's what everybody keeps pointing at. Like, that's folk. Whatever, 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 again, as Gibbs said, there's no hard line to this, but at some point between 1980 and 1990, we stopped folklorizing it. And the problem with that is when we stop there, it looks different than what was done in 1970. It looks different than what was done in 1960. But the definition of folk is origin, like the origin. That word is in the definition of folk, which throws people who study this for a loop, like, well, what we're doing in 1990 is not, does not look like what we are, were originally doing in 1960. And that's why I believe that as a circuit, We've had a major issue when trying to have this conversation of which team was more folk than the next. Like, how do you even define that? And think about this, Umer. In 2016, at Motor City Pongara, at the time, was our most folk competition in North America. DCMPAA was told by the judges that they were too folk. Okay? Let's throw another example. Sean Punjabi goes to Pongara Arena. They did their live set in uh, 2019 and they were told there that they weren't folk enough so the real question is beyond like it's not just what is folk but where are we drawing this line and who is defining it Thank you for listening to another episode of The Bangarda Podcast be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts Please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, as that really helps others find the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of them at The Bungarda Pod. If you want to know what else is going on in the podcast world, sign up for a newsletter and join our Discord server to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. There will be links to all of those in the show notes. <laughs>